This is Echozoe Radio, episode 190 for March 2024 with Kofi Edubowen on Law and Gospel. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 190 for March 2024. My apologies for no February episode, but we're back, and our guest this month is Kofi Edubohan. Kofi's pastor of Redeemer Bible Fellowship in Medford, Oregon. He's been with us several times, and he returns once again, this time to talk about law and gospel. Video of this episode is available at YouTube, Rumble, the Echozoe Locals page, and embedded in the episode page at echozoe.com slash 190. Be sure to check out the show notes for a link to download the book Treatise on the Law and the Gospel by John Colun, which is the basis of today's discussion. The book is available free from Reformation Heritage Books in both ebook and paperback formats with free shipping within the United States. Finally, I want to remind everyone about the Christian Podcast Community. As a member of the Christian Podcast Community, I can't recommend it highly enough. There are dozens of fantastic podcasts available at the Christian Podcast Community, focusing on a wide variety of subjects and all in a biblical manner. While the podcasters in the Christian Podcast Community don't agree on everything, all of them seek to glorify God through their shows. Check them out at christianpodcastcommunity.org. And with that, here's my discussion with Kofi. Kofi, uh, pleasure to have you back again. Great to be back with you, Andy. Always a joy to be on Echo Zoe with you. Yeah, and it was, is it okay if I share the great news you just shared with me when we connected? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, uh, yeah, you're expecting a, another little growth in the family. Yep. Um, by the time that this will probably get out. Probably. Well, maybe. Depends on how quickly you edit it, I suppose. But um, March the 1st, Lord willing, we're expecting a little girl to join the family. So, Already have the one son, for those who've heard me on the show before, and yeah. now having a little girl join the family, so really excited about yeah, that. Praise God. Yeah, I missed the February episode, and um, I would have, this is February 28th that we're recording, I would have to edit really fast to get it up before that, so yeah, uh, she'll be here before this is live, and so on behalf of all listening, congratulations and uh, to both you and your wife, and and your Thank little you. boy, get a nice little sister. Yep. <laughs> so, cool. Well, um, I, and I was also just sharing with you that I'm, I'm noticing a trend that when I don't have a topic and I reach out to pastors, <laughs> it's, I, I hadn't really clicked with me until I was talking to you, but the pastors always bring great subjects with. So uh, I reached out to you. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other week, and we were just kind of laughing that, if you think about it, pastors were the original content creators in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, we spend all week studying. We then have this massive content that we take into a pulpit. 
kind of turn that into a different form of content than the one we started with. Um, so we're always kind of thinking about something. So, you know, the way I see it in this day and age, you know, we are content creators of a different kind, of course, but in a sense, we've, we've always got something on the brain. Yeah. Well, it works out for my format too, because I, I love to get a different guest every month and I always love like reaching out to different people, but I don't like creating homework for people. So I've always wanted to have something that the person I'm going to talk to is already done. They're already working uh-huh. on it and whatnot. So it works out really well. And in the past you've been uh, preaching through different, we've done, was it Haggai and, and then Genesis uh-huh. last time we talked. And uh-huh. so um, a lot of your preaching has worked in and ended up being great episodes. And, but uh, yeah, I was just realizing that, you know, Ryan Hobbita is my pastor and always brings a topic and last Last episode, not last month, the last episode, Gabe Hughes brought the entertainment topic, which was really good. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's pretty consistent. I don't know what took me so long to make it click that the pastors tend to bring great, great topics. <laughs> but, so yeah. I don't know where to start. I think you, you're you're going off of a book. Let's maybe start with the book and what uh-huh. inspired you on this and and what got you digging in to law and gospel. Sure. So um, very recently, Reformation Heritage Books have made what I think is a really classic book available free of charge to anybody who wants to order it. And I think we'll have a link in the show notes. If I'm yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. 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 So we'll have a link in the show notes to it so you can order a copy. Um, I actually read this book for the first time about three years ago. Okay. So yeah, um, about 2020 or so. And just as I read through it and I thought through it, the themes that this book raised really resonated with me and with both my own experience in the Christian life and my own approach to preaching. And so every so often I kind of think about this book. And so when Reformation Heritage announced that they were giving this away, I was like, yeah, that's a good opportunity for me to reread it because lots of people are going to be thinking about it. And really the heart of this book is just the reality that the center of our Christian lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And without understanding the relationship between the gospel, which you ask most Christians, they'll say, absolutely, we love the gospel, we treasure the gospel, we prize the gospel. But without understanding the relationship between the good news of the gospel and the law of God, I think we lose something of the sweetness of the gospel, the blessing of the gospel when we don't have that in mind. And so I think this book is a really good introduction to thinking about those sorts of issues. Um, the man who wrote it, um, John Cahoon, which that's how you pronounce his name. Um, <laughs> yeah, we were just talking Cahoon about that. A- I mean, I had to bring yeah. this up, but uh, I'm playing with screens here. Sorry. Um, no worries. C-O-L-Q-U-H-O-U-N. Cahoon. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you know anything about how Scots write their names and stuff, names of places, names of things, they're not always the most intuitive. <laughs> So, like, the way it looks might not be the way it's spelled, um, or the other way around, but yeah. Um, so, anyway, John Cahoon was a pastor in the 1800s in the uh, Free Church of Scotland, and he was very impacted by an earlier group of Scottish ministers who were known as the Marrow Men. There was a controversy that broke out in the... Uh, Church of Scotland relating to the basically answering the question of do we expect people to 
clean up their acts before they come to Christ? Or is it come to Christ, trusting that he will transform and renew? And this became an issue in a number of the churches. And it led to something of a, some would call it a a secession, a split. Um, others say it was more just a group within the Church of Scotland. I'll leave that historical debate for another time because it's not really relevant. Mm-hmm. But John Cahoon was one of the men who was profoundly impacted by some of the men who took the view that, no, the good news of the gospel is not clean up your act and then God will save you. It's, no, the gospel is a message of the grace of God shown in the person of Christ. And they were concerned that a sort of, soft legalism had entered into their church that a very moralistic tendency had come in and that the sweetness of the gospel had been lost Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the men who came out of that many of them are known even in you know sort of reform circles so if i say the name thomas boston people have heard that name um ralph and ebenezer erskine the erskine brothers um they they were very concerned that no the church has kind of lost an emphasis on the freeness of grace in a healthy way. And so their preaching was very much concerned with putting Christ front and center, the free offer of the gospel in him. And Cahoon was one of these men. And he wrote a number of books that deal with issues relating to this. And what many consider to be his magnum opus is this book we're thinking about, which is the law and the gospel. Okay, cool. So, um, Maybe just jump right into the mm-hmm. the law side of things. Mm-hmm. Sure. So in chapter one, um, Cahoon basically deals with the question of the moral law. Like when we talk about law or the law of God, what do we actually mean by that? And so he talks about the law in three senses. He says that there is the law as it's inscribed on the heart of man in creation. Um, he sometimes refers to this as the law of nature because mm-hmm. it's you know founded in the nature of God and it's woven into the nature of man as a result. Yep. So there is uh, the natural law. And then he says that there is the law that was given to Adam. Now, it's, in- it's interesting. He said the law given to Adam, theologians call it the covenant of works. We can debate that language. I might have some questions myself. <laughs> but um, overall, this idea that when... God spoke to Adam in the garden and told him, do not eat from the fruit of the tree. He was entering into a covenant. He had given a law that there is a uh, prescription of that law. There is a punishment for that law if he doesn't keep it. And so there's a covenant that's being formed there. A So there's a law given to Adam. And then it's interesting. He kind of skips the law as it's given to Moses. He treats that in its own separate chapter. Okay. Um, but then he goes to the law as it comes from the hand of Christ. And the distinction that he makes there is that the law as it was given to Adam could only punish. Like it was given as a means by which Adam would merit eternal life. And of course, Adam couldn't merit eternal life. And that was the point. Mm-hmm. However, the law as it comes from Christ is not about us meriting anything from him. No, as it comes from Christ, it's given to us as a rule of life. So the Christian receives the law coming from the hand of Christ, where he is inviting us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we received, to use the language of Paul in Ephesians 4. 
but that's not the same thing as we are meriting our salvation or we are earning our salvation because of our obedience far from it actually it's precisely because the believer has received the lord jesus christ that he has passed from death to life that the condemnation of the law no longer hands over him so we don't view the law as Cahoon describes it as viewing the law as a covenant of works that i do these things to merit salvation from the lord rather it's no i have received salvation from the lord and in gratitude and in response to the work of his grace i then turn around and follow his law as a matter of obedience from the heart and so that's where Cahoon begins i think it's good that he starts there because if we have a view of the law that doesn't take into account all of these nuances so if you only view the law as okay well there's the law that's written on man's heart in creation mm -hmm. okay well the problem is you read the bible the bible says a lot more about god's law than just that and if you only view the law as a matter of god gave rules i obey them when i obey these rules it makes god happy and everything's fine and dandy well the point that Cahoon makes is, and he makes this later on in the book as well, that only ministers death and condemnation because none of us are able to keep the law of God perfectly. This is right. you know, the point in multiple passages of scripture, James 2.10. If a person breaks you know, one of God's laws, he's broken all of them. Mm -hmm. You know, Even Moses, when he gives the law at Sinai, he says to the people that they can't keep this law. And that's not Moses, you know, being a pessimist about human nature necessarily. It's simply him being realist that we as uh, fallen sons of Adam naturally cannot obey the law within ourselves. That's why we need the grace of God shown to us in the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that's why Christ's work of obeying the law for us is all the more sweeter and all the more precious to us. Because it, as he has fulfilled the law as a covenant of works, He's able to obey the law perfectly in thought, word, and deed. As he has done that, that no longer that condemnation no longer hangs over the Christian. Now the Christian enjoys the fullness of the grace of God shown in Jesus. And we view God's law not as a standard of our measuring up to him, as much as a great a gracious and grateful response on our part to the work that he's already done. So that's what Cahoon starts off with, with defining the law, that there's the law as it's written on our hearts. So even unbelievers know there's right and wrong. There's certain things we should and shouldn't do. There's the law as it was given in the garden, this covenant of works. Does he and get then in, there, yeah. Sorry, does Go he ahead. get into, with that law written on our, house does, our hearts, does he get into the like the Romans 2 and 3, where Paul mm -hmm. says much the same? Yep, he goes with that quite extensively. Um, in this first chapter, because again, he's not going to come back to it per se. Mm -hmm. So he does spend some time thinking about Romans chapter two and you know, the law written on the conscience that the unbeliever knows um, right from wrong, that sort of thing. Yes, he definitely does touch on that. Cool. Uh, sorry, I interrupted. You were. No, yeah, no worries. So, yeah, that's really that's the, the beginning of this. When he talks about the law of God, there's these three senses. And if you understand the three senses he's talking about, the rest of the book makes a lot of sense. So he kind of touched, he deals with the law of God as in the moral nature, but he kind of deals with that, but that's not really his focus. So he doesn't spend mm -hmm. too much time there. It's really those other two senses, the law as a covenant of works 
and the law as a rule of life empowered by the spirit. Those are the two other senses that he spends the rest of the book um, establishing, you know, the basis for essentially. Okay. And you mentioned Moses. You said there was a kind of a separate discussion mm-hmm. on Moses. How does that tie in with the natural law? Right. So in chapter two, that's where he deals, especially with um, the law of Moses and its relationship to the covenant of works. And this is where Cahoon can be maybe controversial, depending on um, your view of a number of related issues. Mm-hmm. So Cahoon essentially says that the law of Moses, as was given at Sinai, has both elements of the sort of Adamic nature of the law, if you will, that he talked about in the previous chapter. So he's got aspects of that. But then he says there's also a gracious aspect to it. So he notes, and I'm just going to pull this from the introduction to the book. Um, They have a really good summary here that his argument for the, you know, gracious nature of the covenant at Sinai is that it begins, if you read Exodus chapter 20, before it goes into any of the laws, it starts off by saying, um, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. It starts with that. It starts Mm -hmm. with a declaration of what God has done for his people. And then it goes into, you shall have no other gods before me. You will not make a graven image, all of those sorts of things. It's interesting that after the law is recited in Exodus 24, that the people are sprinkled with blood from sacrifices. And then they are told, Exodus 24, 8, the, behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. So there's still a connection. The law is not left on its own. There's a connection to the sacrificial system. And... There's also a link, and he points out some passages, Deuteronomy 16 especially, where circumcision and the Passover, which you could argue are the sacraments or ordinances, if you will, of the Old Covenant, that they are tied to what happened at Sinai. Mm -hmm. Now, both of those precede the law being given at Sinai, but there's a relationship between them. So he says that there's a gracious aspect, but there's also a... Uh, you know, a more legal aspect to the covenant that's made at Sinai. And he gives some evidence for that. So if you remember in Exodus 19, which is kind of the prelude to the Ten Commandments as we know them, there is this scene where God makes his presence known as he comes upon the mountain. And there is thunder and lightning. There is a smoke. This mountain's on fire, essentially. People are told, do not draw near. If even an animal touches this mountain, it dies. That there is this separateness that is enforced in this covenant as God is coming down to make it. He also leans on 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul talks about the Ten Commandments at Sinai as the ministry of death. That it was the administration of death. And his point, the point that he makes from that is, The only reason why that could be a ministry of death is because it's reflecting what we see in the garden with Adam. There's a prohibition. And if he breaks that prohibition, there is punishment that follows. Mm -hmm. And it's the same punishment, which is death. 
he also looks at John 1.17, so where John says that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And that's why he says you can't say the law is entirely gracious because the contrast being made there is that, okay, the law comes through Moses, but grace and truth comes through the Lord Jesus. And so what he's really doing there is setting the law of Moses in its context that, yes, there are gracious elements to it, but it's also, in a lot of senses, a continuation of what God began with Adam in the garden. And again, the results are the same. The people cannot keep this law, and it's designed to point them to their need for an ultimate redeemer. Mm -hmm. And then that leads us into the gospel? Yes. Well, he spends a bunch of time then explaining about the nature of the moral law and stuff like that. That's, again, important. Yeah. Um, but I think if I was introducing someone to this book, I would skip over a lot of that discussion. <laughs> okay. Um, because he's going to come back to it later anyway. Um, it's not really till we get to chapter five and in chapter five, he actually lays out what the gospel is. Um, personally, it's my favorite chapter in the whole book because at that point now, understandably so. From a guy who hasn't read he, the book, I just, yeah. Yes. So chapter five is where he really gets into the discussion of what the gospel truly is. And if I want to read his explanation of what this is. So right at the beginning of chapter five, he says, the word gospel signifies good news or glad tidings of salvation to lost sinners of mankind through that savior, which is Christ the Lord, quoting Luke 2, 10 and 11. The term in scripture is used in a twofold sense. It is taken in a lax and general meaning and it also is taken in a strict and proper meaning. So he says there's two ways to think about the gospel. There's a very general sense. Mm -hmm. And then there's a very specific sense we think about the gospel. So he says in the general sense, the gospel in its lax, large or general meaning is the doctrine of Christ and his apostles, which strictly speaking is a mixture of both law and gospel. So he's saying that everything that you read Christ and his apostles teaching, you could in a broad sense call that the gospel. Okay. It's the explanation of the good news. He goes on the whole of divine truth comprising both the law and the gospel strictly taken is in scripture called the gospel, the gospel for in publishing it, the law must be preached in subservience to the gospel in its strict acceptation. In other words, we can say the whole thing is the gospel because even when you're proclaiming the law, the law is not, presented as the goal or the thing that we want people to get to is the gospel so in a broad sense the whole of the gospel message is you know the whole of the new testament message if you will excuse me is the gospel but then he says that there is a very specific meaning when the gospel is being proclaimed and here's where I think the book really comes to life for me. That the gospel is not just uh, the general teaching of the New Testament, Christ and his apostles. But he says that the gospel strictly taken 
comprises also all the promises of the covenant of grace as included in the great and comprehensive promise of eternal life. Every promise of that gracious covenant belongs to the gospel. The gospel in the proper acceptation of it, so he's speaking about that strict sense again, consists of free and absolute promises of grace and glory, or it includes a free and gracious promise of justification and eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. It contains the promises of faith and repentance and indeed all the other blessings of the everlasting covenant. So he says in the strictest sense, when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about what you and I and most evangelicals would think of when we think of the gospel, the good news of forgiveness found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of glory, the good news of justification, that the fact that we are declared righteous in Christ and eternal life that's found in Jesus. And he says that's the very tight and specific meaning of the gospel. And that's really what he wants to hone in on as you read this book. And so if you take those two things together, his definition of what the law is and his definition of what the gospel is, you can really boil it down to the law in its you know sort of summary form is every command that god has given to his people so every time that god commands us to do something that's a law okay i think we for most of us we would disagree with that right i think that makes sense yeah and so that shouldn't be taken as a negative it just means what it is it's a law it's something he commands of us the gospel on the other hand is not a law the gospel is the good news of free and gracious forgiveness for the sinner in christ and really what Cahoon wants to argue in this book this is why it's really central to understand this is that the christian must understand that there is a distinction between those two so we don't kind of confuse law and gospel so you don't make the gospel a new command or you don't make the law the good news essentially no sure. those things need to be kept distinct yeah but in the provenance of god there is a relationship between the two and that's really the heart of this book understanding that difference between the law of god and the gospel of god what god commands of us which in and of ourselves we are unable to do and that leaves us condemned and the gospel through which god satisfies the demands of the law so that the law no longer acts as a condemnation for the christian but actually beyond being a condemnation it becomes a comfort to the christian as it's the christian's rule of life mm -hmm. and so really that's the heart of the book and that's chapters five and six so chapter five he talks about what the law it the excuse me the gospel is in itself and then talks about uh, chapter six is the title is the uses of the gospel and of the law in subservience to it so yes the law has a place but the law is subservient to the gospel and if you understand that Cahoon's contention is that it actually transforms the way in which you approach the christian life how we approach preaching how we approach any number of issues so that's really kind of in a nutshell um what he's getting at in chapters five and six, you know, this relationship between the law and the gospel, how do the two agree? 
And then chapter seven is where he gets into the difference between the law and the gospel. And he's very explicit there as to when we say that the law is not the gospel and the gospel is not the law, this is what's at stake when we get that wrong. Yeah, before fact, we get to the differences yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and the similarities, I want to circle back to what you had said earlier, um, dividing mm-hmm. this gospel into a more of a generalized versus a specific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there? Do you see a relationship there to to that as, and then to like breaking the gospel down into like a general call and an effectual call? Is it? Oh, huh, interesting. So he doesn't make that connection, but I can I can see a relationship there for sure. You know, I I think I think we can make a relationship between the two in the sense that, you know, it's through the proclamation of the gospel message in general. Mm-hmm that you know the effectual call the spirit uses that to make the effectual call to the heart of the sinner so yeah again i haven't thought about that but i think that i think a relationship could be made there for sure cool (laughs) yeah Uh, so as we think about you know differences between the law and the gospel um there's a quote i'm trying to scan this real quickly i haven't got my print copy in front of me but here we go so page 129 um Cahoon says, ignorance of the difference between the law and the gospel promotes also in a great degree the strength and influence of a self-righteous temper. Another one, he says temper in terms of a character or a frame of spirit. Mm -hmm. So essentially he says that if you don't understand the difference between law and gospel, the danger is you end up adopting a very um, self-righteous approach. Uh, he goes on and explains like this. He says, when a man is driven to acts of obedience by the dread of God's wrath revealed in the law and not drawn to them by the belief of his love revealed in the gospel, when he fears God because of his power and justice and not because of his goodness, when he regards God more as an avenging judge than as a compassionate friend and father, and when he contemplates God rather as terrible in majesty than, in, than as infinite in grace and mercy, he shows that he is under the dominion or at least under the prevalence of a legal spirit. And for me, when I started reading this book three years ago, that was the paragraph where all of this kind of came together for me. Mm-hmm. Because I've often wondered, again, I've been teaching the Bible in some way, shape or form since I was 18. Yeah. I turned 33 in December, so I've been at this a while. And I've often wondered, just, you know, you encounter some Christians, they're joyful in their faith, their faith is vibrant, you know, they love the Lord, they love other people, and they are genuine, let's be honest, they're a joy to be around. And then there are some Christians who, let's just be honest, it's like, you woke up this morning and decided to chew lemons, (laughs) and you've been chewing them all day. Like, there's just a self-righteousness and impatience with others, a embittered spirit when you know a christian messes up or makes a mistake like there's almost no grace there and you wonder again i wanted it for a very long time don't you no way too much of my (laughs) life is spent on twitter but we're not talking about that today (laughs) (laughs) but you just get this sense of you've experienced such rich grace why are you the way you are seriously Mm. and honestly it was reading this that kind of brought it together for me like oh that's what's going on 
And it kind of hit home that I saw some of this even in myself at times. Yeah. Where your view, because your view of God is basically he is, and again, this isn't wrong necessarily. He is holy. He is just. He does not take sin lightly, especially sin among his people, which is true. Yeah. By nature, I'm the kind of person I can lean towards that. I'm not, I'm a very type A personality. So I have to work very hard just in my own temperament not to view everything as here's a list of things that need to be conquered today. And to not, I mean, we all feel a sense of satisfaction when we achieve something. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. Except, I would argue, in your Christian life. <laughs> I think when that kind of creeps into your Christian life, which I know I can be prone to, it makes us that's all a little bit insufferable. Human nature, yeah. Yes. And I think that's what Cahoon's getting at. He says, the reason why you see that in Christians is they have confused the law and the gospel. Yeah. So they're essentially viewing the law purely as God commanded me to do stuff do it why aren't you and if you're not doing it well why aren't you doing it because god commanded you to do it rather than viewing you know the gospel in terms of wait a minute this is a response to the work of god's grace that i have seen in his gospel this is a the response of the response excuse me of a transformed heart and a transformed life if you you may get to the same end, if you will, in terms of the law being obeyed. So we can look at two Christians. So let's use something real simple. Attending church. Yeah. You can have two Christians who faithfully attend church every Sunday. 52 out of 52 Sundays, they're there. And on the surface, because again, all we can see as human beings is what's on the surface. Uh, on the surface, we look at that and we say, well, yeah, they're both really solid Christians because, hey, they're both attending church regularly. But one of them is doing it because it's expected and it's a rule and I have to do it. And the other person is doing it because, man, every time I come, I hear of what Jesus has done for me. I hear of what he's calling me to and how he's giving me his spirit to live this way. Of course I want to be there. They're both fulfilling the same end but as Cahoon notes there's a legal spirit i'm doing this to tick boxes and obey rules yep versus i'm doing this because i'm this is what christ who loves me and has given himself for me and went to the cross and rose for me this is what he wants for me because it's best for me do you see how those two things can be very different and I think that's a practical example of how this distinction between law and gospel becomes really important. You know, one of the criticisms that this understanding of things comes into sometimes is that people like myself, and I would consider myself someone who really adheres to this. You know, one of the criticisms we get is, oh, you guys don't believe obedience is important. The, for I'm, you know, I imagine the kind of folks who listen to Echo Zoe are <laughs> theological nerds like myself. <laughs> and so if I say antinomian, they know what I mean. Yep. Yep. That 
people sometimes hear me speak and they'll say, oh, you're an antinomian. I'm like, no, 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 no. An antinomian says, I don't have to do anything ever. Right, yeah. That there is no moral obligation that the Christian is under. And I want to say, well, sorry, I don't believe that. <laughs> um, I simply ask the question, what is the motivation for the Christian's obedience? And I think there's a very simple biblical example we can look at. So if you've got a Bible nearby, Titus chapter two. Um, uh, just a moment, let me. And I say that, and I don't have a Bible nearby. Let me grab one real quick. I've got uh, Logos up here. Yeah, I haven't opened Logos in a few days. He's going to want to index if I open mine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Titus chapter two. Titus chapter two. I think you see this in Paul, where I think Paul shows us a great marriage of Again, law and gospel, how the commands of God and the freeness of grace come together. So Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Grab the first Bible that was nearby, which is my old NIV, which isn't too bad, so I'll read it. We've got the the ESV up. Let me see. I don't have a quick, quick link to the NIV. Otherwise, I'd put it up on the screen. All right. So Titus chapter 2, verse 1. It says, this is Paul writing to Titus. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be shipped to their own husbands so that the, no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Now, I think we can all agree Paul is giving a set of commands here. He's calling Timothy to set some, not Timothy, Titus, to set some things in order in terms of the way in which various groups in the church conduct themselves. Mm-hmm. Now we'd all agree, verses 1 through 10 are all great and wonderful things. Yep. None of us would say these are bad things. And honestly, in our culture where things are as disordered as ever, we could all use some reminders of this every now and again. <laughs> but here's the question. Why should the Christian pursue any of this? Because Paul could have just pulled up here and moved on to his next topic. Yeah. Except that's not what he does. So verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Oh. And the word for there is statement of purpose. So why should you do everything in verses 1 through 10? Because. Because the grace of God has appeared to all men 
Verse 12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness or worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Oh, that's the foundation. So it's not that Paul doesn't have time for any sort of moral imperative. And in fact, he's going to have some more in chapter three. Yep. But the grounding that he gives for that is not do this because God said you should do it. He doesn't ground it in the law. He grounds it in the gospel. Yep. He says, here's what you have experienced. The grace of God has appeared. That same grace teaches you. I love the way the NIV renders it here. It teaches us to say no. <laughs> It teaches you, yeah, don't live that way. And it's interesting, he says the gospel does that. He doesn't say the law teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. He says, no, the gospel teaches us. The grace of God teaches us to say no. And so it's not that we deny the importance of obedience in the Christian life. It's not that we say, well, it doesn't matter what you do because, hey, grace of God, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. No, you should care about obedience but everything in its proper place we care about obedience precisely because we are a people who have experienced the grace of god and the grace of god teaches us as christians to pursue obedience to use cahoon's language to receive the law of god as not coming from moses with threats and thunderings but coming from Christ, who is gracious and who not only commands us, but gives us the power to do that which he commands, which Moses could never do. So far from just being, you know, a very theoretical difference, if you are, if you understand this, I would argue it changes the way in which you approach the Christian life. It changes the motivation for which we live the Christian life. And it moves from just a drudgery and a sense of, I have to do this because God said I should, which he does. None of us are going to downplay that. Mm -hmm. But it moves from that to, no, this is a response to what God has freely done in Christ. And as a result of that, you know, it almost takes the pressure off a little bit to where it's not like, okay, in those moments where I fail and I feel weakness, oh, God's going to come after me or God will not love me. No, I think he's demonstrated his love quite conclusively in the person of Christ. That's where the believer finds their hope. Yeah. But it empowers us to live in the kinds of ways that glorify God and is a help to our neighbor. I hate to do this, but I, I, I need to take a little break. If we yeah, no worries. yeah. All right. Um, I need to step out for a minute. I will be back. Yeah, I'll go grab a drink. I'll be right back. Sounds great. Are you just watching? Do you enjoy watching movies? The special effects, the interesting characters, the great stories. There's a lot to enjoy that comes out of Hollywood. But sometimes it's best to approach secular media with a healthy dose of critical thinking. Join me, E. Franklin. And Tim Martin. As we discuss our favorite movies. And share critical thinking for the entertained Christian. So visit areyoujustwatching.com to subscribe. And don't just watch. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for that little break. And... Um, no, just had a little bit of um, family business to take care of, but uh, 
we were talking about uh, differences between law and gospel before the break, and, mm-hmm. and uh, mo- much of it rooted in our motivation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, Cahoon goes on, he says this. He says, um, if a man builds his faith, it builds his faith of the pardon of sin, of the favor of God and of eternal life on any graces that he supposes are implanted in him or on any duties that are performed by him. He is evidently under the power of a self-righteous temper. He shows that he is under the influence of this hateful temper by grounding his hope and his comfort on conditions performed by himself and not on the gracious and absolute promises of the gospel. In a word, when his hope of divine mercy is raised by the liveliness of his framing duties, in other words, when his hope of divine mercy is higher because I'm really hitting the mark here, <laughs> and not by discoveries, he goes on, of the freeness and riches of redeeming grace offered to him in the gospel, or when he expects eternal life, not as the gift of God through Jesus Christ, but as a recompense from God for his own obedience and suffering, he plainly shows that he is under the power of a legal spirit. Now, if he's ignorant of the leading distinction between the law and the gospel, this ignorance will strengthen his legal propensity and confirm him in his resolution to seek justification partly if not wholly, by the works of the law. That's very interesting. I, because I, I find, you know, I, I, we were talking about Twitter, and uh, I, I as well spend more time than I should on Twitter. Not quite as much lately, but uh, you know, over the course of my life, and um, some of the better follows I have, some of the pastors and stuff will will tend to get into this law and gospel. I'm thinking of like Mike Abendroth. Is, uh, yeah, really, Mike was kind of my introduction to a lot of this. Yeah, yeah he uh, he really drills in that uh, difference between law and gospel, and has takes different approaches to it. He, he'll mm-hmm. he'll do it as like a quiz, or maybe as a treatise. So he'll talk about it a bit and stuff. But um, I, I, that was just a really interesting way to put it, and it helps kind of make it click with me as well. That the pr- mm-hmm. propensity, but to go towards the law is rooted in the ignorance of the difference between the law and the gospel. Mm-hmm. And you also have to think about the fact that, you know, this is where Cahoon's argument is kind of cumulative and you have to follow him from the beginning. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, the gospel is not natural to us, but the law is. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have the law written on our hearts. Right. Well, and look at every every man-made religion on earth. They're all mm-hmm. just steaming in law. Yep. There's only one that has a gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was, I think, I want to say it was John McCarthy years ago who said that there are only two religions in the world. That there's the religion of human accomplishment and the religion of divine achievement. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, pretty pithy way to put that. But like you said, you look at all the religions that have that man has developed in some way, shape, or form, they all, to a man, have things you need to do to gain the favor of your deity of choice or deities, as the case may be. Yeah. It's only in biblical Christianity where we say you cannot in and of yourselves earn the favor of the deity. You can't earn the favor of God. But here's the danger, and I think this is where this can be very subtle. 
it can be very easy for us to believe that that's true to become a Christian. But it's once you become a Christian, you know, now to be a Christian, well, it's kind of a mix of the two. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you kind of do your part. God kind of does his part. And that's how we keep this thing trucking along. Yep. Um, I heard a great saying years ago that has helped me kind of stay on track with that. Um, and I, I believe I heard it from Bob DeWay, uh, who was preacher at the, the church that I'm no longer with, but uh, still a great friend. He said that we didn't, we weren't saved by Jesus to be sanctified by Moses. Mm-hmm. Point, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Point, point being that we don't start with grace and then return to the law. No. You know, the way I heard a pastor back in the UK say this years ago, and it stuck with me, he said that um, the way in is the way along. Right. Like, yep. How you became a Christian is how you continue. And I think yep. Paul makes a similar point. Um, I went and grabbed the Bible in the break. Here we go. <laughs> so... I normally use the Christian Standard Bible, so okay. that's what I'll read out of. Um, so the CSB. I, I haven't. Holman yeah, Christian. So, uh, I, yeah, gonna, they're, 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 yeah, they're very similar, so you can get away with it. Yeah. Well, I was just going to click on it here. I've got it up on the screen, but um, okay, it's uh, it's a uh, interlinear with Greek. On. Yeah, that is going to be hard to follow. I think I'm going to. Uh, I'll follow along in the ESV. Where are we headed? All right. So Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. Ready when you are. Yeah, so Paul's about to start. If you know the... I think we did it. Didn't we do a uh, series, uh, talk on Colossians at one point? That sounds right. Yeah, that I think I remember right. talking about Colossians with you a while back. Yeah, um, that must have been pre honestly, That's right. Yeah, that was that must have been back at the old house. Yeah, uh, that that was a while ago. Yeah. So if you remember, I said that in you Colossians, in you've got storage this. shed. Yes, yes, in my uh, shed outside. Yeah. Um. So in Colossians, you've got this uh, Colossian heresy. You know, mm-hmm. commentators disagree as to what it is. I think the most natural way to read it is it seems to be like a folk religion. It's a mixture of things. And it's interesting. Paul doesn't really deal with it until you get to chapter two. Okay, but the very first thing to he says in dealing with it, so Colossians two six, that's where I'm going. Two six. Uh, okay. Yeah. So in three through five, he kind of makes it clear that okay, I'm writing what I'm writing to you, so that no one will deceive you with well-sounding arguments. And then he says in verse six, so then. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Well, let's just ask some basic questions of this passage. So Paul says that we should continue to live in Christ just as how we just as we received him. Well, how did the how does any Christian receive the lord jesus through the gospel yeah through the gospel it's by faith in the gospel message it's Mm -hmm. by grace through faith Mm -hmm. so if that's how we receive the lord jesus according to this passage how are we supposed to continue 
by grace through faith. Mm-hmm. And he says, as a result of that, you know, being rooted and built up in him. So again, it's very Christ-centered Paul's emphasis here. That it's not look at you and how good you're doing. It's look at Christ and what he's done. Being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and the result, and overflowing with gratitude. I think you could really sum up the entire Christian life in these two verses. Yeah. (laughs) You receive the Lord Jesus by grace through faith in him. You continue in him by grace through faith in him. As we do that, we are being rooted and established, rooted and built up in him. We're established in the faith. And as as we've been taught that gospel, and as a result, we overflow with gratitude. You know, one of the things, as I, like I said, you mentioned Mike Abendroth, and, you know, he's been a massive help to me. He really was the guy who kind of got me on this trajectory of thinking about this. Yeah. You know, one of the things that he said to me is, you know, brother, never confuse the evidence of your faith with the grounding of your faith. Yeah. The ground of our faith, even in this passage, is it says that we are... Yeah, we are rooted and built up and established in him. Right. The evidence of that will be overflowing with gratitude, which is the reflection of a transformed life. Yep. But if we have, if we find ourselves confused about what that is, if we find ourselves uh, unsure about what that is, or worse, if we kind of ignore that and we adopt, you know, the sort of half and half approach of, Yes, there's grace for me to become a Christian, but to be a Christian, it's all on me, or it's partially on me. Cahoon says, if you're not careful, you're going to end up with this very self-righteous frame, because why not? I'm, you know, there's really one of two responses that comes as a result of that. There's pride. Look at me and how I'm measuring up. I'm Mm -hmm. great. (laughs) (laughs) Or there's despair. Oh, look at me and how I'm not measuring up. I am awful. And pride and despair are neither of those are things that we want to be characterized by. No, rather, we want to be a people who are characterized by gracious gratitude for what God has done in Christ. And the only way that can happen is when we live our Christian lives, not with the mindset of, oh, I need to earn something from God or I need to uh, curry his favor, so to speak. Rather, it's no understanding that. I am someone who has experienced the grace of God and having experienced the grace of God and continuing to experience the grace of God. Yes, I will have moments of weakness. Yes, I'll have moments where I miss the mark. But here's the wonderful thing. Because my identity is not in me and my hope is not in me, it's in the Lord Jesus. In those moments, we're able to go back to him, find fresh grace, and he empowers us by the very message that he saved us with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I makes thinking, all the difference in the world. Yeah, and I was just thinking that it just makes grace that much more gracious. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's really where I think a distinction between the law and the gospel becomes critical. And especially just to make this super practical for our listeners, really it gets down to the you know, foundation of motivation. Where are our hearts? As we follow the Lord, 
And I think for a lot of Christians, I know I was raised in a tradition where we were essentially taught, you know, I grew up Pentecostal holiness, mm -hmm. which had a lot of great redeemable qualities about it. And I don't doubt the salvation experience of the people who raised me. I heard the gospel in that context at the age of 14, and I believe I was converted. Praise God. That, yeah, and I praise God for that. And when I've, I think when I was younger, I used to kind of want to throw all of that out. And now I want to say, no, there was some good there. Yeah. It wasn't all bad. There was some bad, yeah. a lot of bad some days. But <laughs> there were other things where, no, it was good. I think one of the things I would say was more in the bad category, if you will, was there was this very, well, we, again, as the name suggests, we believed in holiness. I think every Christian believes in holiness. At least they should anyway. Yeah. But what that ended up meaning was try harder, do better, and obey the rules. So, so a legalism. No, it was it was legalism. Yeah. Anyway, I, I was you know talking to my mom about this. Um, my parents left the denomination I grew up in and you know became independent, pastor a different church. But I remember talking to my mom about this. It's like, you know, if you're a woman in that church, it was really hard because you couldn't wear makeup, which never bothered my mom anyway. <laughs> but you, know, you can't wear makeup. Um, women always had to cover their hair. And not only did they have to always cover their hair, they weren't allowed to have hair extensions, which never bothered my mom. Both my mom and my sister have lots of hair. That's never been a problem for them. Mm -hmm. But always they couldn't have hair extensions uh couldn't wear jewelry actually men and women couldn't wear jewelry you know can't wear jewelry you there was this list of never it was often unspoken as well you just kind of picked up that these were the rules yeah you know skirts gotta be over a certain length those sorts of things and i always thought it was interesting because there were people i knew who were the most fastidious about keeping the rules and yet they were awful people. Like inveterate gossips is why even to this day in my 30s, I have to pray for a lot of grace when I hear about gossip happening. Because honestly, it's just it just throws me back to my childhood, especially yeah. my dad was a pastor. So I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Or raging temper problem. Or, you know, oh, you can't, oh, don't trust your money around that person. You know, that person's a thief. But they're keeping the rules. They try harder than all of us. And it took me, it wasn't really until like I started studying this a few years ago. I was like, oh, that's what it is. They've gotten themselves into a mindset that essentially says, If I keep these rules, it keeps God happy. And so he and I have a great relationship. Yeah. And there's no transformation there. Yeah. So externally, you're keeping all the rules, but your heart is still as black as sin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember asking my mom about this. And I was like, Mom, do you think that some of the people we grew up with weren't Christians? And I remember my mom kind of paused and said, You know, I've never thought about it like that, but maybe. They've never experienced the grace of God. That's why they can. They were taught a religious system. Yeah. 
did they actually encounter the Lord Jesus Christ? Hard to tell, and in some cases, I'm not sure at all, actually. Yeah. But I often I look back and I just think, what if this had been explained? Like the gospel was actually preached. I mean, I even think about the gospel presentation I heard. I mean, the gospel was in there, and I believe the Lord used it. But essentially, it was believe in Jesus or burn for eternity, which is not untrue. <laughs> it's <laughs> That's it. very true. Yeah, it's one way to put it. But, you know, I, I kind of think about it every night again, like, did I get scared into becoming a Christian? And then I have to remember, no, because actually the cross was explained to me and the life of jesus was explained to me and that you know that kind of factored into it that that was the only hope so no it wasn't turn or burn if you want to be crass about it mm -hmm. but you know i fast forward to today where you know each week in my own preaching i try to proclaim the gospel and i think it's given a richness to, even when i'm speaking to a room that i know all the people our church is really small so I know all the people, and I know where, for the most part, I know where they are with the Lord. But I have no problem in preaching the gospel to them again, because they need to hear it. They need to be reminded of the fact that this is what the Lord Jesus has done for you. He gave his life for you. He went to the cross. He yeah. rose from the grave. Right now, he's interceding for you. That's the motivation for when things are difficult, when things are hard. And we, you know, we've had some, you know, some tough situations in our congregation in the last few years. Yeah. You know, we've had, you know, some people have had miscarriages. Um, we've had, you know, people struggle with work, people struggle with health issues, you know, family situations getting out of hand. Like there's been all sorts of things going on. And I've come to realize that the most comforting thing I can do for all of those groups is not give them a bunch of rules or give them a prescription that will hopefully make their life better. The most helpful thing I can do for them is to remind them of what has been done for them. Point their eyes back to the Lord Jesus. And as I point their eyes back to the Lord Jesus, it doesn't minimize the problems of life, but it does put them in perspective. Mm, and it does give hope because it gives you hope because you realize as tough as things are, this is not the end of the story. Yeah. And you know, it kind of takes the weight off in terms of, okay, I need to find a way to fix this. I need to, well, Yes, we want to obviously work hard and we want to, you know, think about solutions where solutions are needed. You know, this isn't just kind of bury your head in the cloud, so to speak, and not think about things. Mm -hmm. But again, I think perspective and motivation, those two things alone make thinking about law and gospel all the more worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing that's gone through my mind many times throughout this discussion is uh, I, uh, you know, I follow different... Uh, well, we, you used the term content creators at the beginning. And uh, both Christian, non-Christian, uh, secular, whatnot. And, and there's mm -hmm. one that I follow kind of regularly that's a, a lawyer. And um, one thing I think that is really interesting that he brings up a lot is that he's learned in the practice of law that motivation is the master of reason. And he talks about this a lot, that in the context of civil law, uh, human law, uh, courts and whatnot, especially here in America, people have this mindset that, um, that, that the way that courts are supposed to work is that when a case comes before a judge and a jury, that people are impartial and that they 
listen to the, the evidence and hear the testimony. And then, then they make a decision based on their reasoning. And he said uh-huh. that couldn't be further from the truth that everyone enters that courtroom from the judge to, the, to every juror and whatnot. And the lawyers on both sides, they all have a specific motivation that, uh-huh. that, that drives and that in order to, uh, tame that to, uh, to use that reasoning the way you think it should be used, you often have to change your motivation. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and in the course of this discussion, I think it's so applicable even within our lives as Christians uh-huh. and approaching the law and the gospel and that we, by reason, oftentimes will look to the gospel, but then our motivation that human nature comes through and it drives us to act out the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's, that's just such a critical thing for us to think about that if we recognize that, okay, internally we have this pull towards the law, the gospel is foreign to us. That's why the gospel is a message. Martin Luther talks about this. It's extra nose. It's outside of us. Mm-hmm. So if we recognize that, first of all, I mean, it helps us to recognize all of us have, you know, that inner, I call it the inner lawyer. We all have that internal sense of not just right and wrong, but how we think right and wrong should be adjudicated and uh, measured out, if you will. Yeah. So we all have that. And I think if we're conscious of that reality, but we're also conscious of the reality that, okay, in Christ, in the gospel, a new motivation exists in the heart of the Christian. Mm-hmm. Then it helps us to, I don't believe that it eradicates the presence of that inner lawyer, if you will. Yeah. But it does help us to recognize it's there. Right. And to recognize, no, 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 I need to not listen to that you know, inner disposition. I need to listen to what the gospel says. Yeah. It's again, it's, it's just shifting that motivation to recognizing where the motivation should go mm-hmm. and that the reasoning when you, we all tend to think the reasoning leads that when really in reality, the, the reasoning will follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think many people assume, and I think in the church, we can fall foul of this, that we think if we don't give people law, if we don't give people, I could really get us in some trouble and mention some names, <laughs> but I won't because uh, none of us need that. <laughs> okay. But, you know, if we don't hit people hard, you know, if we don't, like in tradition, I grew up in school, if we don't preach hard, then people are just going to do whatever they want. You need the Lord to keep them in line. Well, here's the problem with that line, that kind of line of thinking. The New Testament never says that. Yeah. The predominant, not the only, there are other motivations for obedience that we see in the New Testament, including the reality that we will one day give an account, the reality of final judgment. Yeah, that that motivation is there. And I think any Christian who says that's not there, I'm sorry, you're just not reading the New Testament, honestly. So Mm -hmm. that's there. But the predominant motivation is the grace of God. 
Yeah. Yeah. One of the ones that comes to mind is one of my favorites in Romans chapter six. Mm-hmm. So in Romans six, Paul's talking about you know sanctification and the work of the Spirit in freeing us from sin and making us willing to obey. And in Romans chapter six. I'm trying to find the exact verse where he says this. Verse that, no, let me read from verse 12. Okay. So verses 1 through 11, he's laid out, you know, this reality of what God has done in this decisive break with the power of sin in the life of the Christian. Not the presence of it, but the power of it. And then he says, verse 11. This is verse 12, excuse me. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any part of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness again if he stopped there all of that would be true but the beginning of verse well the middle of verse 13 is where he gives the motivation for this but as those who are alive from the dead gospel language again Mm -hmm. as people who have experienced we were dead in our trespasses and sins and christ has made us alive as a result of that as people who've experienced that offer yourselves to god and all the parts of yourselves to god as weapons for righteousness for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law in the sense of the law as this covenant of works, this condemnation that hangs over us, that either you do this or you die. The Christian is freed from that, not freed from any sort of moral obligation to God, but that kind of obligation. He says, because you are not under the law, but under grace. That's the controlling motivation for the Christian. And when we forget that controlling motivation, and we replace it with more law, we might think that in the short term, we're getting what we're looking for, which is more obedience from people and more uh, commitment to the things. We might think that. But I want to argue, at least in Paul's understanding, that's not how we come to the place where we are offering up ourselves to the Lord, where as those who are, those who have been made alive, we offer up the, our members to God. Like that's not how that happens. And I wish that more Christians would understand that because I think it would make us more patient with Christians who maybe are struggling with sin or they're struggling in a particular area of their spiritual growth. You know, I, I look back on some of my early years in ministry and I think to myself, oh Kofi, I wish we could go back and redo some of that. <laughs> um because again, I'm a very type A personality. So by nature, I you know, you give me a list, I'm going to power through that list. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, a lot of the time, I think when I was younger, when people would come to me and they had very real problems, which we didn't want to deny or uh, say weren't important, my way of often handling those problems was basically, here's a list. They'll kind of like a doctor give me a prescription. Take two of these and go to bed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I wish I could go back and actually lay that gospel foundation. Recognize recognize who you are, what God has done for you in Christ. And then we can talk about 
some of these more practical things you could do as a response to the work of God's grace. Now, as, I, as we're talking, I'm thinking about a book that I've recommended to a few men. Um, I'm not sure if you've read it. It's called Finally Free by Heath Lambert. No. Okay, so the book's essentially dealing with sexual sin. Now, Heath Lambert was, I want to say, maybe he still is, um, director of ACBC, so Association for Certified Biblical Counselors. Okay. And, you know, he wrote the book, again, dealing with sexual sin, particularly pornography. Mm -hmm. But I've recommended that book on a number of issues because the paradigm that he works with is essentially what we're talking about. He approaches it not from a legal perspective or law-driven perspective. He approaches it from a gracious perspective. He starts, I think the first chapter is basically just explanation after explanation after explanation of what God has done in the gospel. And it's from that foundation that he then tries to deal with some of the more practical things that somebody who struggles with that sin can use to begin to find freedom. But he always brings it back to the gospel. And the reason why I, I love that book is I think it's a wonderful demonstration of how the gospel doesn't make excuses for sin. But it actually, if we rightly understand it, it provides the motivation for fighting against sin. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we can miss that. We can assume that the answer is try harder, do better and give a bunch more rules. And none of that works in the long run. Because again, pride and, dis pride and despair. Look at me. I'm doing such a good job. Look at me. I'm absolutely awful. Neither of those people are being helped. Yep. Cool. I got different like rabbit trails I could take this, but we're 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 over an hour and uh <laughs> Yeah, an hour already? <laughs> we'd get <laughs> we'd get easily past two if I uh kind of went where I where my mind's taking me at the moment. So mm -hmm. um But yeah, let me say this as we kind of wrap up. I think this will be helpful to folks so uh, like i said um in the show notes there'll be a link to this book that yeah. you can get on your own and there's some extra material they've included as well like um some videos that you can watch that summarize all of this really well mm -hmm. um yeah you sent me the link well. it'll be yeah. uh so echozoe.com slash 190 190 okay it will be the episode and the show notes and then down if you scroll down um additional resources um uh, I'm not sure how much I'll have, but this will definitely be in there. Uh, the link that you mm -hmm. shared. And then you mentioned that in the U S that you can get a free hard copy of this. Yep. So, um, Reformation heritage books have decided to give away, I forget the number, but they've got a ridiculous amount of copies they want to give away. So at the link, at, um, heritage books, heritagebooks.org, um, they'll let you actually, you know, they'll let you order up to 10 free copies. Wow. Yeah, which is very generous of them. So, um, just gonna I ordered, it, yeah, I ordered a bunch from for our church, and I've got some extra copies for my just my own personal that I'm giving away to folks. Um, so yeah, I would really recommend that. Um, oh, it I looks to me like yeah. um, uh, anyone can get it free. It just says in red letters on mm here: -hmm. international orders do not get free shipping. So if you're willing yeah, to pay for so you shipping, can download, you can so get yeah, you can it. Get, uh, anywhere in the world yeah at, at so for international folks you can get the ebook 
Um, and for folks in the US, you can order up to 10 free hard copies. Cool. Um, I want to say this just as we wrap up. Um, in fact, I'll give the last word to Cahoon himself. Just so we're right near the end of the book as he's... Yeah, give me the page uh, number and give me a second to get to it. Not a problem. So I'm just trying to pull this up here. Probably should have got my print copy. <laughs> here we go. So page 274. It's right oh, at the bottom. It's going to take me a lot of scrolling to get down there. 270... Is it four? Yes. I'm at 250. Keep going. Bear with me. I'm Not just a scrolling. Problem. Scroll, scroll, scroll. All right, 274. I'm there. So he ends it by saying this. Um, Many think it's sufficient for them only to know their duty. And no, scene, no sooner do they seem to themselves to know it, then they immediately and inconsiderately, inconsiderately attempt the performance of it. But all they who have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, Ephesians 1.17, and are so made wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3.15, know that much more is requisite to the right performance, even of the smallest duty, than to know it is commanded in the law. They not only look, therefore, to the law as a rule for authority to oblige them to the practice of good works, as well as for direction in performing them, but they also look to the gospel and to the Savior offered in it for strength to perform them, for merit to render them acceptable to God, and for a reward of grace to crown them. If the true Christian, then, would be very ready for every good work, he must be excited and resolved not only to receive the law of Christ as his rule of direction, but to believe with application to himself the gospel of Christ, and in believing it, to trust with firm confidence in him for assistance, acceptance, and a gracious reward. Thus, he will be enabled while he sojourns in this valley of tears to serve God acceptably, and at length, he will be graciously rewarded with the inexpressible honor of serving as well as enjoying God and the Lamb forever and ever in the holy place on high. For there his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. Amen. Awesome. Yeah, not much really to say on top of that. No, not at all. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Kofi. I think that's a great way to close. And thanks so much for the topic. And uh, congratulations again on the new baby girl. It'll be here in just uh, two days. And Yep, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Glad to be here. All right, and then uh, before we close, how can people find you? Sure. Um, so I'm on social media, at least for now. We'll see how that goes. But <laughs> for now, I'm still on social media, so... If you're on Twitter, X, whatever they're calling it today, um, you can find me on there under A Kofi Cup. So A K O F I Cup. Um, A Kofi Cup. I'm also on Facebook. Um, my Facebook got hacked a few months, well, I say a few months, almost a year ago now. So I had to start over. But if you look at me on Facebook, um, A Cup of Coffee, so similar to the Twitter name, Does A Cup of Coffee. Your old Twitter. Yeah. Name. My old Twitter, that got hacked a year ago yeah. as well. It was not a great year. <laughs> um, yeah. But if you look for me on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash a cup of Kofi nine zero. That would take you to my Facebook account. Uh, you can mm -hmm. follow me on there. And then our church, Redeemer Bible Fellowship, we're on 
social media everywhere. So we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. YouTube. You we are on YouTube. Yep. yep. Um, the sermons, and we've started doing shorts and stuff on there as well. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on there too if you just look up Redeemer Bible Fellowship. Um, I think on YouTube it's Redeemer Bible Fellowship Rogue Valley, which is the valley mm-hmm. that we're in. Um, you'll find all of our sermons and Bible study content there as well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Kofi. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 190. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, including a link for a free copy of the book, visit echozoe.com 190. Please also check out the Christian podcast community. There's an ever-growing list of fantastic shows focusing on all sorts of topics. You'll find them at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the April episode of Equizoi Radio. 